0: who is coin.
1: You're listening to the Watchers of
2: Westeros. I am the King! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win, or you die. Fire cannot kill a
0: dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. Also heard the phrase Lannister always pays his debt For the night is dark and full of terror What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love We can avenge them
1: Hello again everybody Or should I say Hodor again everybody
0: Don't do so Sound.
1: Hold the door Hold the door Hold the door I'm good. I'm good. I've got I did I did get caught up in the intro music there. Um I don't I don't usually do that, but I got so caught up in our own intro music. Well it's not really our intro music, it's the Game of Thrones scene or the Game of Thrones theme. Uh, but I forgot where I was, and I thought I was just watching an episode, and I started whistling along with it. I was like, ta 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 as if I was just you know watching it. And I, then I had to quickly look at the soundboard and make sure, okay, good, I, I was muted. People weren't uh, subjected to me going, whoosh, 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 whoosh. Uh, you know, in a terrible, <laughs> terrible whistle. Uh, but you are in the right place if you are looking for some Game of Thrones talk. This is, of course, the Watchers of Westeros. We'll be discussing the Season 6 episode the door season six episode five this is the halfway point we are halfway through season six that's insane that's insane how did we get here this quickly this season is just flying by but i guess they all do they all fly by like this um but yeah so we've just we've got just as many episodes ahead of us as we do behind us but you know what the second half of the season is always the best stuff it's always where it gets really good um But right now, we're talking about a really good episode in The Door. But first, introductions are in order if you are new to the show or you've forgotten who we are. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan.
2: Good evening to everyone who is listening, or at least good evening from Britain from me, as it hits quarter to midnight here in (laughs) the United Kingdom. And for those of you who are listening and feel that my, my voice may be a bit nasally There there is a reason for that, and that is because, unfortunately, I have developed a cold in the space of the last couple of (laughs) days. So there may be a lot of of me coming in and out at certain points, which may just be me blowing my nose. But I thought I'd get that out of the way now, and then we can just enjoy talking about Game of Thrones. And, um, you know, it shows how dedicated I would like to think in that sense we are to Game of Thrones, that it could still get us all out when we're ill, and, and, and we still love to talk about the show, and what a great episode as well, by the way. The the door aptly named, of course, yeah. uh, aptly named, I should say, of course, because of the uh, end of the episode. Uh, but we'll get into that a lot more later in the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Somehow, through the power of the internet, or maybe just irony, um, or coincidence, I guess, uh, Karen managed to catch the cold that I had last week. So if you enjoy listening to podcasts where one of the hosts is sick, then this has just been a, a bumper two weeks for you, <laughs> um, for everybody else. Hopefully everybody will be uh, feeling better by, uh, by next week, but you never, never know. Uh, but let's yeah. get, let's, let's get into this episode and why don't we just start at the beginning? Or at the end, <laughs> at the end, um, which is also kind of the beginning. But uh, we'll, we'll start with the end um, and what what went down uh, beyond the wall with Three-Eyed Raven, with Bran, with Mira, with Hodor. And um, first we, we got this weird, like, low-key revelation about the origin of the White Walkers. Uh, they were apparently created by the children of the forest during, when back uh, millennia ago, when they were fighting the uh, first Men. and it was created by uh, they were created by impaling a a man, one of the first men, with a dragon glass dagger. So this was this is this is how this is where the White Walkers came from. Are, are were you surprised by the like almost nonchalant way the show revealed it, like? Shouldn't this have been a bigger reveal, the origins of the White Walkers? That feels like maybe that was a – when, when this scene came on, I was like, really? That, that's how you're going to tell us? No, no build up, No nothing? Uh, what, did, what did you make of that reveal?
2: It was an interesting one, and I agree with you. It was very low-key. And I think that kind of speaks to the nature of Game of Thrones this season, but also the way in which Bran's storyline has, has been told this season. So in the first instance, talking about the nature of Game of Thrones this season, I feel like there have been a lot of surprises that have been revealed to us in not necessarily quite as low-key as that, but in places where you'd think, oh, that could have been the grand revelation at the end of an episode from season five. But when you look back and think of, say, the the killing of Roose Bolton, which happened in the middle of the the second episode, the reveal of Rickon Stark um, being captured by Ramsay oh, we now we really haven't you know, seen
1: we haven't seen since that <laughs> since yeah that exactly one episode. and I think that
2: that's a great parallel then really to consider isn't it you know the White Walkers we haven't seen this season up until this episode have at least I don't believe we no, have no
1: this was
2: the first so yeah you know, we, we always hear them mentioned but we haven't actually seen him so. Um, And another parallel you could argue was uh, um, in the middle of season four when we see the child taken from uh, Craster's Keep and then we just go straight into the Nightwalkers then turning the baby into a Nightwalker or the Night King more appropriately. So there have been instances where Game of Thrones kind of throws something at us seemingly out of the blue and we're caught off guard um, and, and sort of that core off guard nature of it almost plays down the significance initially <laughs> because we're like, Whoa, did that just happen? Yeah. At, and at, we, this,
1: at this point, you know, Jon Snow's parents are going to be revealed by, you know, but in just like a throwaway piece of dialogue and that's going to be it in the middle of an episode where four other things happen.
2: Yeah. It'll be, it'll be little f- finally telling the rest of the story. He told Sansa in season five. Um, oh, and by the way, Jon Snow is, uh, also, the, 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 the child of I like, no, 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 L plus R equals J, we don't want to know that that way, <laughs> etc. But the other thing as well that I wanted to talk about was the fact that Brand storyline, when you talk about the, the kind of low-key nature of it, I feel like it has breezed through this season, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Although we haven't been to Brand too, too much, I feel like he has dominated, his storyline has dominated the first half of this season. And that's partly because we haven't seen him in season five, so it's a bit of a catch up, I feel like, mm-hmm. from the Game of Thrones team. Uh, you know, the fact that we start off by going to a vision of, of Winterfell in the second episode, then we go to uh, a vision in the past of Ned yeah, uh, facing off against the, tar- the Targaryens, and now we're suddenly all the way back to the origins of the Nightwalkers. So i oh, sorry, the White Walkers, not the Night Walkers. That's just a mixture of the Night King and then the White Walkers. Yeah. But, you know, we, we, we are breezing through the past at a very rapid rate. And perhaps a justifier to that is the fact that for Bran, he needs to pick this up quickly. So he is just going through perhaps the key events of the past or at least the ones that um, the audience would find most interesting. So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that would be my way of justifying it. But what about you? Did, why do you think that it was such a low key reveal, and, and did it shock you the uh, the way it was revealed? It, it, well, the origin of the night walk, uh, the White Walkers. The origins, the walkers.
1: Of, yeah. The the origins of the Nightwalkers or the White Walkers. Um, it that that <laughs> wasn't so much uh, a shock. That that made sense. We know that the the children are these ancient uh, beings. So yeah, that 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 made sense. Um to me the way it happened and the way the reveal happened you know you know through one of these visions that made sense I mean that's how we've gotten uh, a lot of information this season like as you mentioned you know with Ned at the tower of Joy we got to see uh Liana stark and, and Ned and Benjamin and, and the sort of a throwback to winterfell and so we, we've gotten a lot of information that, that that way this season and honestly I'm surprised it almost seems like we might not get more like it, it seems like we've you know they're moving on from this, which is which is a little bit surprising because uh, we still haven't gotten the the big uh, revelation that we thought we would, um, which was the Jon Snow parent uh, thing. Although that could still happen. I mean, Bran did download all all of uh, Three Eyed Raven's information, but yeah, it it almost feels like it almost feels like maybe this is something that they. Maybe wanted to build up a little bit more and they just didn't have the time Uh, over the last two seasons, two, three seasons. Maybe they wanted to build up this history of the children and and, and all of that and make this reveal and have it be a little bit more impactful. And they just didn't have time. And so they still wanted to put this information out there. Um, But they uh it wound up just feeling like, "Oh yeah, that's how it happened, so moving right along, um you know it would have made more sense if if we had have spent more time with some of the some of the children of the of the forest and and gotten to know them, and then it would have been then maybe it would have seemed like a bit of a betrayal that we didn't have that information or if that information was somehow going to be um impactful in the wars to come, as everybody keeps talking about um then. Then it would uh, it would seem. To, then it would make more sense. But the the question is, how is this information useful? Is it actually useful to anybody? Uh, because right now, I mean, okay, yeah, we know where they came from, but that doesn't really help us fight them or help us stop them or um, wherever we're going with this. So it it does seem. I, I'm still a little bit surprised by this reveal. I would have would have uh, liked a, a, a little bit uh, a little bit more out of it, but. That you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. But let's let's talk about the the really big thing that happened at the wall. And we speculated about this in the past that you know Brand would do something and it would mess up, uh, it would mess up the timeline and create and turn Willis into Hodor. And
2: I But to be fair, I I'll, I'll have to give you the credit for that Dominic. That was that was your theory and it was, was a completely theory. correct.
1: Yeah, well it was it was a theory I, I read somewhere. I won't I won't steal all the credit. I didn't I didn't just dream that one up myself. Um but it that was something we talked about and we we do we see this happen, you know, we see the the bootstrap paradox in act, in, in, in action. Um and then uh but that but then but I wasn't expecting it to play out this way. You know, how when we had the Tower of Joy flashback and, and Bran called out after Ned, and Ned kind of turned around and, and looked, uh, I was expecting it to be more something like that where Bran would try and talk to Hodor. Instead, the mistake that Bran made had absolutely nothing to do with Hodor, which almost makes it all the more tragic. It was because he, he went and saw the white walkers and he came face to face with the night King and the night King just reached out and touched him. And that's what led the, uh, the white walkers to, uh, the, the three eyed Ravens cave. And which just led to really an an a pretty amazing, uh, a pretty stellar fight sequence, uh, or not even really a fight sequence, chase sequence of the whites and the walkers, uh, engaging with the children of the, of the forest and with Mira and, uh, and uh, another dire wolf goes down summer dad. We're down to, we've just got two left and, and one of them hasn't been seen since season one. So I think maybe we can just say we have one left. Uh, and, uh, uh basically, and we, th- there's this amazing chase and, uh, uh brand needs to work into Hodor and he does, but he, it, it, but because he's in the vision and he can hear Mira yelling at, a uh, at Hodor to, hold the door as they try and escape, Hodor goes down in tragedy. And uh, uh, brilliant performances by um, Kristen Naren and uh, the young man who played Hodor, played young Hodor, played Willis, I guess. Um, It was, uh, that was a a very, for for all the death scenes that we've gotten, that was one of the most devastating, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely, and, just looking at the reaction, particularly on social media, people have been devastated by this death. And to think that, arguably, a, a character who isn't the most important by any stretch of the imagination—he is no Rob Stark, or you know what Rob Stark was, or what Catelyn Stark was, or what Ned was—in in the sense that he was a central character, he was a secondary one, but. He was was always one where the fans were kind of endeared to. I think that kind of loyalty he showed, even though he was unable to express it in words, he showed through actions. For example, killing Locke in season five. uh, Sorry, season four, even. That was one that kind of stood out to me. So, yeah, I, I think that it was extremely devastating. and. The fact that it was destined to happen was also another chilling thing, or rather, or characteristic to it all. That what Bran inadvertently did to Willis, you know, kind of just frying his his brain in a way that he, you know, not necessarily that he Hodor was unable to understand emotions, but he was unable to talk um, and, and and kind of operate in the same way, you know, it's tragic, isn't it? That kind of element of, of, of inevitability to the fact that once Hodor, uh, or once sorry Willis starts using the word Hodor, he is always destined to fulfill that role of holding the door. So to throw this question at you, Dominic, in relation to the whole Hodor saga, does this show that Bran cannot change the past hmm. it, that in a way it's a paradox that what he changes in the past will impact what happens in the future but in a way it's always it's kind of a cyclical thing yeah
1: yeah it's it's the, it's the bootstrap paradox um, exactly so yeah I, I I mean he can I mean it's it's the it's one of the tropes of, of time travel usually is that when you um, try to interfere to stop something, to change the past that will change the future, um, there's two tropes. There's either you completely change the future and it's devastating. It's it's like, um, you know, it's like it's a wonderful life. You know, he wishes he would never been born. And then, uh, you know, the evil the evil guy, uh, Potter, has taken over his entire his entire town or. When your action to stop the future from happening creates that future. And I think that's what we're going to see. That's that's what we're supposed to learn here with Bran is that, uh, you know, his actions in the past. You know, I think that the past is is already written and any interaction that he has with it has already happened. I think it's it's very much in this, you know, bootstrap paradox kind of way.
2: Um, so to, to, to maybe just for audiences, to, if, if they want to clear that up a bit, you know, one example that people would look at in, in, a, in a Star Wars kind of zone, just briefly touched upon this, is, of course, in Episode 3, when Anakin talks about to uh, Palpatine about a vision he had of, of Padme um, you know, uh, dying at childbirth. And some people have stated that really it was the actions of Anakin which caused that, which is kind of self-prophetic. Mm-hmm destiny so to speak how 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 does this differ or or is it similar to that example
1: yeah well i think it's it's similar to to that example where you know anakin saw the future and he wanted to change it and because he tried to to change it he created that future um if here's a here's a here's a good way to explain the bootstrap paradox um if you've watched if you watch dr who Then, you will know, this past season, there was an episode that began with a a cold open of the doctor just talking to basically talking to the audience like he was addressing the camera and he explained the bootstrap paradox. And so it's about so it's about 90 seconds and we're going to we're going to listen to it. And hopefully this this will explain what I think will happen generally when Bran interacts with the past.
0: So there's this man, he has a time machine. Up and down history he goes, zip, 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 getting into scrapes. Another thing he has is a passion for the works of Ludwig van Beethoven. And one day he thinks, what's the point of having a time machine if you don't get to meet your heroes? So off he goes to 18th century Germany. But he can't find Beethoven anywhere. No one's heard of him. Not even his family have any idea who the time traveler is talking about. Beethoven literally doesn't exist. This didn't happen, by the way. I've met Beethoven. Nice chap. Very intense. Loved an arm wrestle. No. This is called the bootstrap paradox. Google it. The time traveller panics. He can't bear the thought of a world without the music of Beethoven. Luckily, he brought all of his Beethoven sheet music for Ludwig to sign. So he copies out all the concertos and the symphonies and he gets them published. He becomes Beethoven. And history continues with barely a feather ruffled. My question is this. Who put those notes and phrases together? Who really composed Beethoven's fifth?
1: So. So there you have it. That's the That's the bootstrap paradox explained. And so basically what happened here is you know, why does why does Hodor say Hodor? It's because Bran went back and, and messed with his mind and so Willis knew Hodor because of Hold the Door. And he he was destined to say Hodor for the rest of his life because Bran traveled back to that exact moment in time and created and and uh and he was he worked into Hodor and or he worked into Willis, I guess we should say. And Hodor thus was Hodor became Hodor. Uh, and so I I feel like that's sort of the the lesson that comes from this is to not mess maybe to not mess with the past, because when you do, some people are going to get hurt and it's going to be it may not be in the ways you expect, you know, it mm-hmm. may not be, you know. It's not going to be Marty McFly; somebody ceases to exist, but you may have already, in a timey-wimey kind of way, hurt someone important to you and close to you, as he did with Hodor.
2: Yeah, it's a bit like when people say, "Oh, if we had a, a time travel machine and we would go back to the past and stop cataclysmic events from happening." So, uh, you know, a common example would be to go back and, and you know, kill Hitler, for example, before everything happened in the second world war but um you know based on this idea it'd be well you can't you can't do that yeah um your actions in a way would precipitate whatever happens um uh, you know hitler obviously died of suicide so in a way it'd be saying that your actions help promote that action <laughs> from taking place yeah. so yeah it is interesting but i think as you rightly stated as well it, there are a clear, number of different interpretations when it comes to time travel it's not a kind of fit there's no fixed definition for it
0: mm-hmm.
2: and i think that's what makes it interesting but i think it's important to know then that this event with hodor in at least in my mind informs the audience of the game of thrones law of time travel um but or at least based on on on, on um, you know brands type of time travel so I think that's an important point to make. But, you know, moving away from the <laughs> the kind of theory behind time travel, what does this now mean for Bran in your mind? What have the actions of Bran? And, you know, and Bran was fully aware of what happened there because he was standing there watching it all unfold. Mm-hmm. What does this now mean for Bran going forward well, in terms of his his um, interaction with the past,
1: well, I think he's going to be a lot more careful. There will be no running after Ned Stark anymore and yelling "Father." It, it will be a it, he'll be he'll have to be more careful. I think he 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 now recognizes, you know he he needs he can go back in time to see these events, but he can't be a part of them. He can't get that close. He needs to you know stay back and and make sure. Um, to not get involved with the past, uh, a- and you know the other question is, I mean, how did the uh, the Night King see him? Did he just, you know, did war did Bran just Warg into, did Bran Warg into the past, or did he Warg sort of into the present, just somewhere else? You know how how does how does that work exactly? And had um, the Three Eyed Raven been there, could he have prevented? Uh, Bran from being seen by the Night King. You know these. I don't think there's really an answer necessarily to any of that, but it, these are, excuse me, uh, these are important questions to to raise. And now that Bran has basically had to download all of um, the Three Eyed Raven's uh, information where where does he go from there what is his what is his power set what how much what does he know what can he go back and see on his own now could he go back to the tower of joy and and go up there by himself and and see uh whatever ned found up there you know obviously he finds liana but what 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 state is she in is she dying is she giving birth is she Having a pizza, you know, like you know, wh- whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would. I mean, what a twist that would be. <laughs> um, uh, it, 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 there's a. I, I'm. I'm. I wonder about where we're going now with Bran. And the other question is, what does this mean for the White Walkers? Are they? Has this expedited their plans? Are they moving faster? Are they moving towards uh, something bigger like this? Are, are they? Are they going to? St- Because they've seen Brand and they know Brand exists, are they going to be chasing him, or are they maybe going to expedite their plans for heading for attacking the South? Um, They're probably not going to attack this season. You know, we have that Battle of Winterfell that needs to happen first. Um, Just from a logistical show standpoint,
2: Battle of Winterfell number two, Battle of Winterfell (laughs) volume two, yeah,
1: Battle Battle of Winterfell two, Electric Boogaloo. Um, Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot to. uh, you know, this uh, this story, as as tragically as it ends, it also leaves us with a lot of interesting questions. And, you know, what's going to happen? Like, how far is Brand going to be able to get now with just Mira um, pulling him? Because, you know, before he had Hodor, who Hodor was part giant, he could he could carry he could carry him. Um, you had and he also had Summer. You know, they probably could have hitched up Summer to that sled, you know. Dog slay style, and and Summer probably could have pulled him. You know, Direwolf pretty pretty strong. Now he's he's left with Mira, and Mira, you know, is is strong, uh, a great fighter, a lot of great ad- and admirable qualities. But she's about the same size as him, and you know that's not something that she can pull um for long periods of time without like passing out herself. So, uh, what's going to happen to these two? Is there anybody? I mean. There's not really anybody who can come looking for them anymore. The Night's Watch has been basically depleted. John's not even paying attention. John's not even at the wall anymore. Um, Unless Ed decides to send a few rangers out, um, then they're pretty much stuck on their own in in a far worse position than they were before. Like, there was a relative safety to the Three-Eyed Raven's cave. Now they're just kind of wandering about, and we know from previous seasons that that can go pretty badly pretty quickly
2: yeah absolutely so it's going to be an interesting end or continuation i should say of that storyline but certainly the end of a chapter of brand storyline i.e um you know being with the free-eyed raven who is now gone yeah no more
1: another another performance by uh max von where he He's really just just in there. I almost feel like Max Bonsito just doing stuff now. He's like, oh, this sounds interesting, I, or, or like stuff that he likes. Like Max Bonsito, maybe he's like a Game of Thrones fan. And, and they said to him, "Hey, Max, you want to do something?" He's like, "I'm eighty, I'm eighty something years old. Sure, why not?" Uh, you know, he doesn't have to. Uh, he can just take the roles he wants now.
2: He, yeah, it's a bit like the uh, Christopher Lee, really, isn't uh, he? Of, yeah, of, of this of this decade when you think Christopher Lee was Count Dooku and Saruman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In uh, the noughties, and now Max Fonsido has been in the Star Wars, The Force Awakens, he's been in Game of Thrones, and yeah, both have ended up with him meeting with a, with a not-so-nice ending, that's after, for sure. Yeah,
1: after, after really small roles, I mean, like, yeah. all things... Well, killed by like, the main villains, really. That's, oh, yeah, that's argue. true. But in a way, I almost feel like he had a bigger role in Force Awakens. Like, yeah, I like, guess I, like I, a I guess so. Role.
2: Less screen time, that's for sure. Less
1: yeah, well he had less I guess he had less screen time in Force Awakens just cuz it's one movie versus three or four episodes. But he he I don't know. I, there's something like in Force Awakens people said, "Oh, he was wasted. He was wasted." I I didn't think he was wasted. I felt like he was used very very effectively in a small dose. In in this, I almost felt like there was something else that that maybe was that was coming that he would have done. Uh, but instead, really, I mean, all he really did was he had very few lines. He just kind of said, yes, no, don't do that. Do this. <laughs> you know, he, he he didn't carry all that much. It's sort of like, OK, if, if he wants to be in it, great. I'm not going to argue. Max, Max Foncito is amazing. But, you know, did, did they really need to go out and, and, and get him necessarily? I don't no. know. No, maybe I, not. Maybe not. I mean, then again, it is Max Foncito, so you can't really complain. But we'll get there's another there's another cameo in in this episode. Richard E. Grant as um as as the the Ned Stark actor or the or the Rob Stark actor. And again, it's sort of like I bet he just took this role because he just wanted he just wanted to be in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think that's uh I think that's it. He's he's far too talented to be playing um you know just some bit part like that. Uh but let's let's travel to the wall. We'll get to the play. Later on, uh, but at the wall we see Sansa, and she gets a letter to go meet Littlefinger in Molestown, and he and she confronts him about Ramsay, and we learn that Littlefinger didn't know, he didn't know that Ramsay was this monster, and and we we this is the first the first chink in his armor. This is the first time he goes. He, he, we're starting to see Littlefinger taken down a notch. It's almost, you know, is this the beginning of the downfall of Peter Baelish?
2: I'm not sure I would go that far, per se. I think, yes, he was certainly taken down a notch, and, and rightly so, really, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, as Sansa had put it, you know, if you, if you didn't know who Ramsay was, then you're an idiot, and if you did know, then you're my enemy, You know, he was put into a corner, really. He had no option. There's no way he was going to get out of that, um, you know, being the same old Littlefinger per se as we're so used to him being. Yes, he did manage to turn it around, but in terms of Sansa's perception of Littlefinger, she believes he betrayed him. This isn't, um, as was stated in the Inside the Episode uh, documentary, this wasn't about politics for Sansa. This was about, you know, emotional betrayal, really, that... As as Sansa put it, uh, Peter Baelish had had freed her from the monsters who had murdered her family and then given her to new monsters who murdered her family. So, you know, it was never really going to end so, so well for Baelish in that instance. But say what you will, you asked me whether it was this episode, i.e. the scene, kind of uh, showcased to the audience that the, the, the Peter's uh, there was a chink in Peter's armour, I wouldn't go that far because he kind of turned it around at the end. And the fact that Sansa didn't give away the fact that she had the meeting with Baelish to mm-hmm. John, I think it does say to us, at least, I don't know what you think about this, Dominic, that Peter has a little bit of a hold on Sansa still. The yeah. fact that she won't give him up, per se, as, as, as much as it you could argue uh, Sansa is playing the game. I think that... Uh, Sansa would be stupid to kill Peter, and I think she's aware of it because he has capable resources, as he stated here. He has his army amassed at Mount Kaelin. Um Sansa needs an army, mm-hmm. you know, and Peter kind of feeding that information about the Blackfish and the fact that John is only a half brother. You know, I wonder whether Sansa's thinking to herself, "Well, yeah, I'm technically I'm the main Stark here. Mm-hmm. She can have a grab for power." So it's kind of a lot of questions. got kind of in abridgment, I think that no, you know, yes, Peter was taken down a notch, but this is certainly not a chink in his armor. In the long term, I think that he's got a lot still to to give to to the world in Westeros. Um, I, I I just think that the interaction between the two characters shows that Peter has a bit of a hold on Sansa, whilst Sansa um, the way she perceives the world has been shaped by Littlefinger. Did you kind of get that in this scene? Do you think that Sansa? Is really developing into a kind of uh, Littlefinger Junior, almost. Yeah, or the Stark version of Littlefinger.
1: I, I think so. I mean, we—that's where the show has implied that her story is going from over the last two seasons. I mean, and I think part of the reason people ha- had such an issue with her storyline last season was because it—you it, know—it it was a step back. It wasn't a step forward uh, in, in, in who she was and who she was becoming. And, and here we start to see her uh embracing her destiny a little bit more of becoming that little finger the little finger two point Um I do think that this is the beginning of the end for Littlefinger. Um I don't think I, I think this is yeah I think this is the beginning of the end. I, I still think that either she's gonna kill him or uh John's gonna kill him. Uh but he's going down uh in um
2: Do you think this season or next season?
1: uh next season next season I, I i don't think he's he's done this season but i do think this is sort of the beginning of his fall now that being said i don't think his fall is going to uh it's going to happen overnight i think it's going to be a long thing i think he's still going to be involved in the story for a a good good amount of time but when all is said and done we will look back at this at this meeting between the two characters and say, okay, this is where he, this is where he stumbled. This is where um, she began to have the upper hand on him. Now, you're right; he does still manipulate her a little bit with the half brother remark. Um, and you know, she doesn't tell John how she got this information, and that could be a, a source of conflict down the road. Although it's a source of conflict, I'm not really looking forward to because. Mm. We finally got we finally got two Starks back together. And we're going to drive them apart with a little interpersonal drama. I I I'm, I'm not if that's where we're going, I'm not excited about it <laughs> and in the least. But uh then again, it it could come it could go up, it could it could go in uh in any all sorts of different directions. Now
2: well, a question just to quickly jump in and ask you, Dominic, in relation to that then, just uh, maybe as a bit of summation to this is, mm-hmm. do you think then that Sansa not telling Jon this information showcases more little fingers hold over Sansa or Sansa playing the game? Um, I.e. It's, it's Sansa's own choice that she doesn't want to tell Jon because it will be a power play for herself.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think that might be... Uh... That might be where that might be where we're headed. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I, I like that. Um, I, I think that she probably is maybe thinking. Or that about... she
2: doesn't trust John, and she's not, you know, because of the fact that he's dead and come back. Because Brienne makes the point, doesn't she, of, of saying that not necessarily that she doesn't trust John, but you know, why didn't you tell John if he is your one person who you would trust the most? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So.
1: It's uh, it's it's not. It really, it's not a move that makes sense. Uh, you know, the only thing is maybe John would not want to use uh soldiers that come from Littlefinger because then they would owe Littlefinger something, mm. and that might be what's holding holding her back. There is that she doesn't want him to know that because, but then because she still, even if. Even if she takes this army from Littlefinger, Littlefinger still owes her, infinitely, for what he for what he put her through. And he he still owes her, but that's hard to convey. That might be maybe not to think thinks that's hard to convey to John. So, and and the other thing that that you raised, and I think the and the show raised, is that Littlefinger specifically says half brother. And so, you mentioned earlier, you know, maybe he knows more about, um, what happened between Rhaegar Targaryen and, and Lyanna Stark than he lets on. And I've seen, but I've seen other people take this as a confirmation that he doesn't actually know, um, the truth about John, and that he, he really does think he's Ned Stark's uh, bastard. Where, where do you come down on that? Do you think Littlefinger actually has the, uh, R plus L equals J information or is he more, uh. Is he more in a situation where he's, uh, he's, he's like everybody else?
2: And it's an interesting way to look at it. Because that would not surprise me in the least if somehow either Sansa or John, more likely Sansa, was to find out about John's secret via information akin to that. Uh, particularly if Littlefinger wants to end up driving a wedge between the two, which, as you've said, has been... Maybe, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's been mentioned a couple of times, that's for sure. And so, you know, you wonder whether there's a bit of foreshadow about there being conflict between Sansa and John in the coming war. So for me personally, I'm not so sure that Littlefinger, uh, sorry, I let me put this right. Uh, I do think that Littlefinger may well be privy to some information about this, the extent of the information he knows, however, it still remains dubious, and um, you know, it'd be, it will be interesting if he does know, and he has obviously mentioned that story mm-hmm. to Sansa, um, yeah, so clearly he knows about uh, Liana and, and Rhaegar Targaryen and, and that whole thing, so I wonder if he does know more than he lets on. Be interesting to see, but uh, another little point I just wanted to quickly make on Littlefinger, there we go, little point on Littlefinger, <laughs> uh, was the, the the fact that, um, you know, he talks about perhaps this being a play of, of Littlefinger's kind of inevitable downfall in a way. Um, you know, it's interesting to see that the kind of two one-on-one meetings we've seen recently involved in Littlefinger have been with Sansa and Elena. Mm-hmm. And both of them, in a way, have ended up with Littlefinger being chastised quite heavily, <laughs> um, but also giving them something in return. So for Elena, it was saying, oh, I've got a gift for you. Uh, the gift we, we believe was Lancel Lannister. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way, he's trying to give Sansa a gift with his armed forces. And I think at some point, Sansa will accept that gift because it will come out of necessity rather than want if that makes sense
1: yeah uh, i i think yeah she she's definitely um well i think she's she's accepted his his offer of the the knights uh, or of the of the army he's she sent brienne to go and and secure that
2: so that's not his army though is it that's the black uh, Fish's oh, army.
1: okay sorry yeah um but I mean, yeah so but I, I i do think that um yeah yeah no i i see what you, i see i think i see, i think i see what you're saying
2: um, well, I'm trying to say that it, either way, you can look at it in two ways. You could say, well, Littlefinger's got himself out. Of jail on the other hand, it's the fact that Littlefinger has to in- directly intervene, at least shows the significance and, and the attempt for Littlefinger to, again, try and manipulate the game, um, as it were. But, yeah, back to you, the, the question that you did actually <laughs> initially ask. I kind of went on a bit of a tangent there. What do you think about what Littlefinger actually knows in relation to R plus L equals J?
1: Yeah. I think I don't know, because, you know, people have taken the half brother remark as confirmation that he doesn't know. But something else you said that that sort of made, is made, making me reconsider that is maybe he does know and he knows that maybe John you know, John is actually a Targaryen and maybe the people wouldn't want to follow a Targaryen, but they would want to follow a Stark and maybe they would feel a bit betrayed if they found out, hey, guess what? We the person we swore our allegiance to isn't actually a Stark; he's a Targaryen. And so I think the, the half brother remark might have been Littlefinger trying to get Sansa to realize she needs to be the one in charge. She needs to be the one that people are looking up to. And so, you know, people aren't rallying behind Jon Snow or Jon Stark or Jon Targaryen; they're rallying behind Sansa Stark. And I think that is the idea. That that Littlefinger is, is presenting to her with that half brother remark. I don't know if he's necessarily trying to turn them against each other. I hope not. Um, but I, I do think he's he's telling her you need to be the the face of this assault, and that's why, um, yeah, that's why she has that um, uh, Stark uh, um, logo uh, stitched onto her her clothes at the end of the episode.
2: Yeah, exactly. So she's t- certainly showing her true colors, but you know you also wonder what what is it for if, if Littlefinger. He's obviously uh, an ambitious man. Perhaps he feels that he can get more out of an alliance with Sansa, and he certainly adores Sansa more um, in that sense. And of course, if Sansa is at the um, you know the top of the tree in the north, then perhaps he can squirm his way to being also the warden of the north, which of course is his big ambition at this moment. Yeah. Um, And the final question I'll ask you about a little finger thing, even based on this whole episode with Sansa, do you think he will reconcile um, at least temporarily with with Sansa? You know, obviously Uh, the way the conversation ended was very uh, acrimonious to say the least. Yeah. So do you think that will, that will evolve over time?
1: Um, I think it will evolve maybe to where, They have like a business relationship of like here is I will take your army in exchange for, you know, um, gold or um, this castle or something. But I don't think they're ever going to be um, close or tight the way they were at the end of season four. I think it's it's uh, very much a situation of two people uh, who, you know, I think Littlefinger still cares for her very, very much, but I don't think she cares for him anymore. And uh, when uh, and and as a result, uh, he will be willing to help her out, and she will be willing to uh, make business transactions with him. And that is that would probably be the end of it.
2: Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with you, and I think that kind of business transaction will revolve about control over at least sectors of the North. You know that is, I, I personally think that that Littlefinger will manage to attain. That maybe not even the formal status of being warden of the north but certainly have control of a large portion of the north um just how long that will last for remains to be seen in my book but anyway a lot of interest though and intrigue uh, about this whole scene really um, at the very least though just to finish i guess on this whole uh, at the wall stuff with with two things number one the blackfish is still alive was that a bit of a shock revelation to you?
1: A little bit, yeah.
2: <laughs> so he's 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 back in the game, so to speak. Brienne's been sent there to, um, to kind of elicit his help. Do you think she's going to succeed?
1: I I, do, I think so. I think uh, eventually we're going to. to I think the um, the army that we see raised for um, for this upcoming battle will be. Uh, A very mishmashed army of of all the different houses uh basically everybody who has ever supported the starks um coming together again to you know restore some semblance of order to the north
2: yeah that will be interesting and then i guess the final question to note is um what now for for sansa john and the entourage where are they going to be going because they kind of allude to it, I guess, in the episode that they need to um, obtain the support of the kind of other houses who haven't given their support to the Boltons, i.e. the Umbers and the Carstarks. But is that where we think they're going to go? They're just going to go to a particular house or are they going to rendezvous with other people? What do you think? Where, you know, you know, what made me laugh about this whole scene is that their departure... Um generated echoes within my mind of stannis mm. leaving the wall, and that didn't end up so well to be <laughs> honest um and I don't like the swelling music anymore of when a big entourage leaves the wall because it doesn't usually end in in, yeah. in good things does it <laughs> no, with good things no it say. doesn't
1: yeah i I think it's uh <sighs> yeah i i hmm. I think where they're uh I think they're going around, I think, I don't know how much of this we'll actually see, but I do think they're going from, from house to house, basically asking for, uh, for asking for their support. And I think they'll get most of it. I think they'll, they'll get that support. Um, hopefully they'll be able to rally around John and Sansa the way that we, we think they will. And I, I think ultimately we will get, we will see that, that support for them. Um, but, but uh yeah, that that is interesting, the the Stannis comparison. I hopefully hopefully it's uh it turns out better. Hopefully it turns out much better. Uh but let's let's move on to Bravos now, where we see Arya still training uh with the waif, and then she gets a, a history lesson from Jack and Hagar. Again, kind of a, a, a low-key re- revelation about the history of the faceless men. Um But all things considered, uh I, I didn't I didn't expect much i didn't think that the faceless men's uh origin would really have that big an uh, uh that much of a bearing on the series as it is uh, but she gets sent to kill an actress named lady crane um who was taking part in this play <laughs> that's basically recapping season one of, of Game of Thrones from a ridiculous uh point of view uh and you know we have we have robert baratheon we have uh ned we have joffrey cersei tyrion and sansa all portrayed in this in this uh play uh robert baratheon uh fairly accurate <laughs> fairly accurate depiction of the man um uh, maybe a little tone maybe a little bit uh um uh, uh, uh exaggerated that was the word i was looking for could not think of it um ned stark obviously a very uh, a witted and uh you know, power-hungry version. Uh Joffrey, I mean, Joffrey I thought was pretty accurate. Joff- no, Joffrey was like a, <laughs> a joke. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Joffrey was apart from uh, the part when he got slapped in the face. Yeah, that
1: that was that was pretty good. Uh, Joffrey was uh, was portrayed as um, you know a kindly king. Same with Cersei, Sansa, um, like Ned portrayed as very dim-witted, um, and uh, Tyrion as kind of uh kind of a
0: uh, a lot more a power hungry hungry. yeah he was kinda
1: evil. He was evil. Uh he was yeah. I think that's the best way to describe it. And so Arya has to sit through this play and at first she's enjoying it, but then as soon as the as soon as her father shows up um and is nothing like the man she remembers, uh, you know, she doesn't like it anymore. Um and then she, you know, she sees her sister, quote unquote, um being humiliated on stage. Uh and then So then she realizes that it's the actress who was playing Sansa who has taken out the the contract, who's who's trying to get um, Lady Crane killed. And so all of a sudden, the faceless men don't seem so honorable anymore that now they're just basically taking uh, assassin jobs. Like last season, she was sent to kill that that insurance man who was not a very good dude. This season she's just sent to kill some actress who who the other actress doesn't like because she is more talented or has more experience i I found this a, a very interesting change in the portrayal of the faceless men they they don't seem so uh so cool anymore they just seem like uh run of the mill assassins and mm. the, you know they they lack the honor that they seem to have in the past
2: yeah I mean it's interesting isn't it how Jack and Hagar has been implanting this kind of dogma onto Arya about even in this episode about the history of the faceless men, how they came to Braavos and in a way founded the free city of men, and um, you know that, that that's kind of it, it kind of indoctrinating Arya in the culture and traditions uh, of the uh, faceless men who. As you said, was, was seen as principled, honourable, um, brave, courageous—all of these qualities—and yet it's being presented as a bit of a myth now, or at least over time. You know, the, the the story might have been true. The anecdote that Jackar told about the history may be true, but over time, it has been seeped in corruption, hasn't it? Really, mm-hmm. in terms of their motivations, in terms of uh, their policies it's they're they very and, much
1: like the the jedi in the prequels
2: yeah exactly that's a fantastic comparison to make and, and a very suitable one in, you look at aria now when she begins to question these ideas and she's making very reasonable argue, arguments as well isn't she Dominic? she's very perceptive that's for sure and yet Jacques and hagar says serpents don't ask questions yeah you know what what did you make of that remark and Although we talked about how how it presents, I guess, the faceless men, but does this show in the future that Arya is going to really question not just the faceless men as an organization, but more importantly Jacques and Hagar?
1: Yeah. I think she's going to she's going to be questioning this a lot and she's going to be looking for an out. Um, you know, she's going to take what she's learned from this and, and use it, I'm sure, down the line. But she's she's I'm sure she's looking for an out and looking for somewhere to somewhere else to go and somewhere else some other way to uh, you know she can pretend to be no one all she wants she's still Arya Stark and uh, you know there's a I think we mentioned this last week but there's a theory out there that uh, the face the faceless men uh, and their worshiping of the many faced God won't be happy with the fact that Jon Snow was resurrected, and they will send someone to end him. And that could be Arya, and that could be her way out. And I, I feel like that's where we're going, where she's going to become disenfranchised with the faceless, faceless, faceless men not living up to their idea, ideals. And when she gets this out, she's going to go and, and fight alongside her brother and sister in the wars to come.
2: I think that's a nice theory, and it, it would help tie in the storyline between Arya and the rest of her family. Because yeah. at this point, it's unclear where Arya's storyline is really going to to go, how it's going to progress. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing the play unfold, etc., was was fun, I guess, and, and I understand why she was sent there. It, it, it was the faceless man, in a way. Uh, sorry not a faceless man, it was yeah, the organisation's attempt to to kind of um, ensure that she, or, or kind of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for, to kind of corroborate this idea that um, Sansa is, sorry, Sansa Aria. I'm, I'm losing my words today, the cold is really getting to my mind now, um, the fact that Arya now is supposed to be no one, so the performance shouldn't affect her on an emotional level she should look just look at it from a blank slate but clearly it did affect her and the fact that it did shows that she still is someone she is still aria stark and so we want to see now how is her story going to tie in with the rest because the performance as i said was nice but it seemed to be in its own little world and i don't know if you kind of think that about the the story dominic Mm. but whenever we go back to aria it either seems to be a bit slow perhaps in progression or you sometimes sit there and question well where where is this going where what are we exactly leading up to there's not yeah. as much of a clear out so to speak as yeah. some of the other storylines like you know in king's landing we didn't go to king's landing but we know there's going to be some confrontation between a high sparrow and the uh and, and the crown but what about well, yeah, where's aria's story really going to go
1: yeah absolutely. i, I think uh, I think you're you're on point there where it's like yeah she's she's just kind of doing these these little missions, these training montages off on her own, and it's kind of been that way really since uh since season uh season four, even when she was running around with the hound after after they they couldn't make it back to uh after they didn't get back in time for the uh for the red wedding um and and uh and then in this then he couldn't then the how couldn't drop her off in Riverrun you were left in a situation where everybody is is kind of you know she's always been very separated from the rest of the story, and this season has definitely uh you know continued that, and you're just waiting for that thing that's going to happen that will draw her back into uh the world where the rest of the story is going on. And, and you know, I think the, the John thing is, is most likely where it's headed. Um, the actress who plays the waif, uh, Faye Marseille, Faye Marseille, um, she was interviewed recently and, and she revealed that she was one of the first people to know that Jon Snow was definitely coming back. So take from that what you will. Maybe it was in one of her scripts. I don't know. Um, let's talk quickly about what goes down in Marine. We see, uh, Tyrion and Varys uh basically decide that they need the uh the help of of the uh, red priests and priestesses uh to spread the word about Danny uh and her accomplishments or really their accomplishments on her behalf uh while she's gone and we get this very interesting exchange where uh Varys kind of calls out the um the priestesses for uh you know first believing that Stannis was the uh was the hero um and then uh, and then uh, now that now they seem to be backing uh, Daenerys, and you know Varys, uh, <laughs> you know uh, uh, that was a great sequence. But then she kind of throws back in, in, at Varys's face the idea that he heard something in the flames when his parts were thrown in the flames back when uh, he was cut. And uh, what what did you make of this scene? What what should we take from this interaction between Tyrion Varys? And the Red Priestess, Kin- Kinvara.
2: Yeah, it's not going to go very swimmingly in my mind, <laughs> certainly based on that conversation. As a character, we know that Boris, as I think you pointed out there, has always had a, a bit of um, a rocky relationship, let's put it that way, when it comes to um, his interaction with religion in particular, because of what happened to him as a young child. And he is very skeptical of what he calls these fanatics. But whilst he's skeptical, he also does show a level of apprehension towards them because I think in a way he does believe there is power in what they are doing, not just perhaps, not as much perhaps on on a practical level, but certainly on a psychological level. And you see that when uh, the high priestesses, what was her name again? Kivara?
1: Kinvara. Is that
2: it? Kinvara sorry so when Kinvara was talking to Virus about you know do you want to know what was said in the flames or who the voice was she actually physically touches him and puts her hand on his arm I don't know if you noticed that
1: mm-hmm. and
2: yeah as he's kind of he's, he doesn't look at it but he just looks at her and, and he looks a bit startled alarmed and uh, very uncomfortable in, in that situation so I, I do wonder what the future is going to hold between uh, Kinvara and and Varys, It'd be very interesting. But it's interesting again to look at Tyrion's role in all of this, and a bit like his relationship uh, with with, with um, the Masters and um, and Grey Worm, for example. He kind of acts as a mediator, doesn't he? Mm. Where he tries to be the bridge between the two separate, uh, or, or perhaps the two polarizing sides, where you have the Masters be the slaves, and then you've got the pragmatist against the religious. So it's it's quite interesting, isn't it, to kind of look at the two differences there. Um, uh, sorry, to look at the two examples there and see how Tyrion tries to interact or he tries to um, act as that barrier between the two. Yeah, you know, do you think that's kind of what Tyrion's role at in all of this is? And you know, in a way, he is acting as an advisor, not just for well, Daenerys, but for everybody else there, by the looks of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is, he is the one who is in charge while she's gone. You know, he, he has to basically make all the decisions. And so, yeah, he is, he's kind of, but he, al- but he also has to rely on everybody else to back him up. You know, uh, he doesn't have the same power that she has. He doesn't have the dragons to call on. So if she, if, if he makes these these decisions, he needs Grey Worm and Missandei and Varus and, Varys and and then the red priestesses and, and all that to back him up. He can't just do it on his own the way she can. He doesn't have that authority and he has to do it in her name. It's not going to be Tyrion did this. It's going to be Daenerys did this. And, and so in, until she gets back, he has, he's ask, acting in, in what he thinks is the best interest for her. And, and as we talked a bit about last week, it, was, it, it it's not, doesn't always match what she thinks is best or what she's doing and i wanted to to bring this up to you and i want to get your opinion on this and i've seen some speculation about this in the past week especially after last week's episode is danny being set up not to be the hero but to be the villain cuz for all intents and purposes she's given up on everything that she was doing in marine where she was trying to find compromise she was trying to to, to do things, basically do things Tyrion's way. And she's gone back to shock and awe with uh, her her abilities and her dragons.
2: Yeah, that is interesting, actually. And the Set fa- her up as the being the villain of the piece. Yeah,
1: when she goes to Westeros, maybe we won't be rooting for her anymore.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean no matter what you say, we've seen enough of Danny to look at her as a, I mean, perhaps it says more about the other characters in the show, but certainly as a character to like more in mm-hmm. that sense. If you're as an audience member looking on at this, I think she does hold a number of admirable qualities and she's certainly courageous, brave. We, we, we've seen how she does in a way Seem to possess this prerogative of, of being the, the ruler because of of, of the fact that uh, she has dragons, which is is groundbreaking in itself, and she's really been presented, I think, as a revolutionary, as much as anything, or at least a revolutionary in this era of of, of Westeros. What this now means for her perception amongst. The people of Westeros. It, it, it remains very, very interesting, and you know there was another bit in the episode which I'm sure we'll come on to as well with uh, the Greyjoys and how they fit into all of this. You know, some people are going to look at Danny as a way, as a gateway into power, and the types of people we've seen who look at her as you know as a, as a form of a gateway into power have, have not been the most honourable of people. I think that's a that's a way to put it. Um, they've been quite malevolent evil you could argue and um certainly very selfish so you know why is danny drawing these types of characters and, and will she actually consent to, to them becoming a part of her entourage it may be seen but you know while she hangs around people like Jora, i always feel like she has that honorable side but again Jora has been pushed away yeah. Again. Yeah. No. He. Poor, he poor Jura.
1: Yeah. Jorah's. I think Jorah's out of the picture. I mean, I don't think they're going to see each other again. I think they were able to to achieve some level of of peace, and he was able to to say to her what he um had not had the opportunity to do so, A- and now he's going to go off and and try and find this cure, and maybe he'll wind up back in Westeros. I mean, you know, one of the houses that John mentions is the Mormonts. So maybe he'll go back there, but I I, I do think that storyline is done. And so, yeah, that's another honorable person around Danny who is being shut out and is basically Tyrion and Varus who are left. And, and, and you know, uh, Barristan Selmy's gone. Jorah's gone. Dario is, he, he's, he's more, uh, you know, he was the one advocating last season for, for killing the masters. Um. So he, he, he 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 doesn't strike me as the most honorable dude, uh, and so yeah. So it's it's Tyrion and Varys who are, are left. I think Missandei and Grey Worm showed last week that they um may not be super thrilled to go along with everything Tyrion is doing. So I think when Danny gets back to Marine, we're going, going to see a bit of a clash in ideologies here, because Danny has really gone back to her Dothraki ways, and she now leads this army of the Dothraki, and and so when she heads for Westeros. With this army what what sort of invasion is that going to be? We know how the dothraki act they they're not you know they don't just um uh defeat they don't just um, take a take a village and you know just change it's not just a simple change in leadership they they pillage and, and and destroy it's not it's not good so we're we're it almost does seem like maybe she's being set up to be a bit more of the villain. Now, how that plays into the story with the White Walkers is the, the bigger question. Because, you know, she does have those dragons, which could be very useful against the Whites. Um, and and, and that's sort of thing. So we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see where they're going. Uh, and uh, finally, we'll, finally, we'll talk about what happened on the Iron, Iron, Iron Islands. Uh, they had the King's Moot. Uh, Yara made her claim. Uh, Theon Bacter and then Euron showed up and uh, he uh, he he made a very um, how should I put this a very Trump like speech (laughs) and uh, um, won the election, Uh, which I think speaks a a little bit to, um, you know, the the type of world that that these uh, that these guys live in that, you know, the. The female leader who who makes a, a good speech is only is is sure that would be fine if there's no other options. Um, instead, they go with Euron, and he says he's going to go and meet Daenerys Targaryen, um, and and offering her the fleet. And as he's being uh, being made king, and he's going through that very interesting process of being drowned, uh, Yara and Theon run off with uh, with their loyalists and the best of. The of the uh, the Greyjoy, um, um, uh, the Greyjoy ships. I guess I, there's another word I can't think of it. Um, and, and they uh, and they head they head east. I guess I think we can assume. So, what did you make of the King's Moot, and and where do you think we're we're headed with this, with uh, Yara and Theon?
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed the King's Moot. I mean, I sort of knew this was coming though because um I have a couple of friends who who are book readers and they kind of I don't want to say spoiled it for me but they they kind of implied that what was going to happen in the king's moot was that you know Yara was not going to win you know who was going to win I wasn't sure because I didn't really know Yoran that well at all but it was no surprise to see him get involved in this and yeah I think it was it was very interesting and it spoke to a as much a, a, about the nature of, of the Iron Islanders, as you say, the fact that they would want to vote for someone like Yoren over Yara, even though you say Yara made a better speech. Um, but also about Yoren as a character. You know, he's kind of come on the scene very recently on the, on the TV show. Why is that? Why now? You know, I, I think that's a question to kind of ask yourself um, because he could have made his move a lot earlier, but this kind of Daenerys, dimension um you know i, I want to know where's he been mm-hmm. and well, one of been, the, the couple of off, theories are he's been off sorry
1: he's been off gallivanting around the world
2: <laughs> yes well a, a little theory that i've heard or a couple of theories is um number one that young Joran was the one who helped burn down the ships in marine Mm-hmm meaning that Daenerys had no fleet and, of course, now needs a fleet. Interesting. And the other one is, perhaps Yorin is the leader of the Sons of Harpy. How coincidental. You could argue as well that, okay, the truce with the Masters has happened, but also Yorin is back in the Iron Islands.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Just a little
2: theory there. I don't know what you think about that, because I thought it was interesting that whilst he was making the speech, he seemed to know an awful lot about the situation in the East. Um... You know, for somebody who, who you might think was hanging around in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at least if not for the the Sons of Harpy thing. Do you think that he might have been in... Uh, he played a part in the burning of those ships?
1: I, I think that could be very interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that happened. Um, but by that same token, maybe, maybe it's more of a situation where he... Uh, I I feel like he he heard about her and and he maybe he saw her, um, and he wants to be on her side, but I I don't think uh, necessarily that he's, uh, I I I I would be very, I I I could see either of those two things happening, but I would be very very shocked if that's that's what happened. Uh, what
2: I what oh, I, I lost, oh sorry you can't jump in. no no go ahead go ahead I
1: was just gonna move that's on
2: good, a bit. I was going to say, why? Why do you think then that Yoran has burst onto the scene now? Why now? Yeah. In, in terms, of, I'm not talking about in terms of the seasons, like Hawaii <laughs> in season six. But I mean, why has he come back onto the political scene in the Iron Islands um, at this point? Do you think in yeah. the chronology of the storyline?
1: I think, uh, I think it's a situation where um, he wanted to. He wanted to uh, get back. Well, you know, as as Leon said, he's kind of been off on having his own adventures for a long time, and I think maybe he he wanted he wanted power like everybody else in the story. He, he he decided he wanted power, and the best way to get power for him uh, was to go back and try and uh, take over, or to take over um, Pike and to take over the the Greyjoy legacy and the Iron Isles. and so he went back and he killed his brother. As he said, that's something he probably should have done long ago because Bal- Balon Greyjoy was just leading them down a, 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 an awful path to, of, to just defeat after defeat. And, you know, if he wanted to be part of something, uh, something bigger, if he wanted to be part of uh, Danny's conquer- conquest of Westeros, he would need to have something to offer her that she doesn't already have, which, uh, which makes the, the ship burning thing an interesting idea um uh, definitely plausible um so i i think that's why he he burst onto the scene now um rather than uh rather than earlier i think it's it's just a it's just a matter of uh, of timing where he needed to uh to have his own adventures to realize where he wanted to be at the end of this story
2: yeah absolutely and be interested to see now what happens i mean he is now tasked Iron Islanders to build a load of new ships.
1: Yeah, how long's that? Been, um, how long's that going to yeah, take? I mean, how long <laughs> we've
2: got? I mean, how, how's this going to end? Does this mean that at the end of the series we're going to go back to the Iron Islands and Yorin's celebrating it's, the fact that they managed yeah. to build a <laughs> ship?
1: <laughs> They've got about eight done, and that's, things are going pretty well. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, interesting. it's a bit
2: like, oh, we missed it. We missed the party. Yeah, it will. It
1: will, it will be interesting to see how that's handled, as well as how um, Theon and, and Yara. Uh, how 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 they're handled going forward? Like what? Where are they going? Are they going to meet Danny? Is that what they're going to try and do? And try and offer her the ships that they have? That seems to be what they're doing. But you know that they don't have a full fleet necessarily. They they aren't. You know I think Euron. If Euron could have gone, it would have been a more impressive showing. And you know if Danny is to become the villain, as we were speculating, if she is going to be a conqueror in a, in a negative sense, then, uh, then maybe he, uh, uh, th- then maybe th- those two being involved, that's a, uh, that's an interesting sign. You know, Theon has, has gone on this, this very uh, long character journey that seemed to have led him to a good place to then go and, and throw in with somebody who's maybe doesn't have the best intentions again is, uh, uh you know, is interesting. I I don't know. We'll see. We will, uh, we will see where they are headed. And uh, before we go, before we wrap things up, let's take a quick look at next week's episode titled Blood of My Blood. Here is the preview of Blood of My Blood. I'm so sorry. I didn't think I'd ever come back here.
2: You didn't tell him I'm a wildling.
0: She disgraced her house. The king has torn our family apart. We should treat them without mercy and we will show them what we do to our enemies. You're a conqueror. The nearest storm one.
2: I take what is mine.
1: Oh man. <laughs> so, I mean, it starts, it starts right away with, uh, Seemingly, Bran uh, apologizing to everybody for uh, what he did to Hodor. Um, then we get, uh, so we we get Bran apologizing. We see uh, Sam. We're going to see Sam and and Gilly again. They're going to finally get to um, get go back to Sam's family. We see um, interesting things happening in King's Landing after they pretty much sat out this week. Well, they did sit out this week. Uh looks like that storyline is coming to a head in a big way. Uh Marjorie looks poised to make her walk of shame, right down to the shame nun behind her. Um but then <laughs> but, but yeah, well, that's what she is. Um and, but then uh the, the Lannister or not the Lannister, the um Tyrell army walks in and, and looks like we're gonna have a confrontation. It's interesting, Tommen seems to be in the Sept, which is very interesting. Uh and then at the end there, Danny and uh and dario talking about her role as a as a conqueror seemingly uh maybe lending a little bit of credibility to that theory that she may be heading down the dark path
2: yeah it'd be interested to see i mean the two things i was thinking about actually while that trailer was being played um number one i'll, I'll say briefly Uh, you know we get to the sixth episode we have not seen any more of dawn maybe they have been listening to us (laughs) avoiding that story at all costs now after episode one but yeah it doesn't look like we're gonna see much of dawn anytime soon um but looking at the content of the trailer what do you think is going to be the big thing that goes down because a lot of that trailer was dominated with the king's landing stuff Mm -hmm. um do you think we're gonna have a big shock death at King's Landing this week.
1: Mm. Mm. Because
2: I... it looks like something has come into a head.
1: Yeah, things are going to come to a head. I think we're gonna see a lot of chaos. And yeah, yeah, I think we might get a we might get a death. I think maybe maybe Tommen. Maybe it's time for the king to the king to fall. Another king to fall. And then that I mean, if if Tommen goes, that leaves the door for all sorts of chaos. That would lead leave the door open for uh Danny to begin her journey west that would leave the door open for um Dorn for the um the Martels to uh to attack um that that leaves a, a lot of uh, a lot of doors uh, doors open if there's chaos in King's Landing because who would be king who would be who would who would rule I mean I guess maybe Marjorie would rule for a time since she is queen until there's an heir but there isn't really there isn't a next
2: uh well, marjorie's in no, no yeah, position to do in anything really, yeah. in the moment though, yeah exactly she? i
1: mean like unless gendry shows up we really we don't have a we don't have a king we don't have anybody to rule and so that you know that would maybe be a, a reason for danny to start heading west and that we also know that this uh, at least two sand snakes are, are in king's landing now um, that would leave the door open for some sort of invasion from Dorn to bring that storyline back after it being absent for so long. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, if we see a big character go down.
2: Mm. And the other thing I found interesting, uh, or two things I found interesting, I should say, in this trailer uh, with the King's Landing stuff, just having that shot of of looking at the um, at the uh, outside of the set, the steps that walk down to, to the bottom of the sept and you see the Tyrell army and then you look at the number of, of soldiers in that army and compare it to the number of of peasants or or uh, you know just people standing behind them watching they're outnumbered if if some sort of revolutionary activity was to happen you know you wonder whether you know something even bigger could go down you know uh, Tommy going down could be massive, but you know, killing a high sparrow could also cause as much chaos. I don't think he'll actually go down next episode, but I think, or or at least an attempted assassination, would be enough to cause a revolutionary spark. I don't know if you noticed anything about that in yeah. the trailer. I, I,
1: I I've I've liked that theory ever since you you brought it up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the trailer. I think that's a that would be a a, a very interesting twist and a, and a very good way to 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 so to spread to spread a little chaos in King's Landing.
2: Mm. That's the funny thing, isn't it? We can, I feel like it, we all, as Game of yeah. Thrones fans watching the King's Landing storyline, know that something will go down. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't really know how it's going to play out or what is going to be the spark of that. But I feel like this walk of atonement is is going to spark something at the very least. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, and the other thing to ask you, Dominic, what about the whole Tali storyline? You know, again,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, we're we hoping now it won't be shoehorned in, but feels, you know, how is this looks, all going to play out? Yeah,
1: it looks weirdly shoehorned in. It feels so out of place this season. <laughs> it really, really does. It, it's it, it's it's kind of like Arya. It's very disconnected from everything else that we're doing that we're that we're seeing on screen. And it it's uh it'll be interesting to see how they work that in, but it, it does feel a bit, yeah, a bit uh, a bit forced, a bit unnecessary. And, and that's unfortunate because Sam and Gilly, I think, are, are two of the best characters. And I love uh, I love seeing them. So we shall see. We shall see. Big, uh, It's going to be a big episode. As just like this week, just like the week before, and just like the week before that. It's going to be a big episode next week with Blood of My Blood. This Sunday, HBO, Sky, keep your eyes open. And uh, we'll be back to talk about it. Uh, before we go, just time for final thoughts on The Door and score out of 10. Kieran, over to
2: you. Final thoughts on The Door. A fantastic episode. One of my favorites of the season. Just revelation after revelation. We found out about the origins of the White Walkers. We learned about how Hodor came into being. A very, very tragic storyline. Uh, and we got to kind of find out a bit more about the history of, of, of the. the you know the faceless organization, really, didn't we, with uh, Jack and Hagar? So all of that very, very intriguing stuff, and uh, we got to find a resolution out to the King's Move. If we didn't know what the King's Move was, we found out about that as well. But you know, the episode title was named "The Door," very appropriately so. And um, you know, off off air, just before we did this, I uh, sent Dominic a video of, from the Jimmy Kimmel Show of, of what that's going to spark now. The, you know, the name of Hodor in our modern society and you know it means that every time we hold the door open for someone we're just going to say Hodor we're going to think of his name and um, it's going to cause all sorts of troubles but no (laughs) uh, on a serious note I think it was a fantastic episode very emotionally impactful episode and um, I can't wait for next week so my score of this episode will be a 8 out of 10 Strong, strong episode. What yeah. about yourself, Dominic?
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. A really devastating ending with the death of Hodor. I mean, uh, I think Isaac H- Hempstead Wright, who plays uh, Bran, pointed this out. But he, Hodor is one of the few pure good characters on this show. And uh, we lost him this week. And and so that was, uh, that was a devastating way to end the episode. I almost wish they had have given him the... Um, the, the the treatment of just silence over the credits the way that um the red wedding ended or or the way that ned stark's story ended or the way that um it ended when john was stabbed i wish they hadn't uh, gone into the music but they did and and uh you know can't fault them fault them for that too much because it, you know it's the end credits uh but yeah a, a strong episode all around i uh, really enjoyed the seeing sansa confront little finger um kingsmoot was it was was interesting i, I it was a lot i was actually a lot more interesting than i thought it would be i, I you know the the pike stuff has has never been my favorite aspect of the story um but i i'm glad but uh, but i really enjoyed this uh and uh bravos was very interesting i loved that play the play was uh play was ridiculous and and uh, getting aria's uh, reactions to it was was very good as well and uh looking forward to seeing how things uh wind up with uh with the, with Danny and, and Tyrion and everyone in the east uh, so that'll do it for this week thank you everybody for tuning in we'll, like I said we'll be back next week to discuss Blood of My Blood uh, before we go Kieran uh, do you want to let folks know what's coming up on Expression, Expression FM this week
2: yep standard stuff my show will be playing out um, as it does every Tuesday from 12 till 2 GMT time it's a show that kind of focuses on more current affairs looking at news and and music in particular and uh yeah that's going to be continuing forth if you want to listen to that then the way you listen is on expression fm the web domain is www.expression.fm you can also like us on facebook uh the facebook page is www.expression sorry www.facebook.com slash uh, sadly, Expression does not own Facebook, and uh, <laughs> the uh, we also have a Twitter handle that you can get in touch with if you want to tweet us. At Expression FM is our handle, um, so that's Expression, and yeah, that'll be continuing for this week. But Dominic, over to you. What podcasts and and other things have you got going on, particularly in the Star Wars world?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, where can't you find me this week? <laughs> um, no. Um, <laughs> You can, uh, of course the star wars underworld podcast is recorded live thursday nights 9 p.m eastern on channel 1138.com and then released on itunes the following day uh we're also doing our bonus show this week so look for that on sunday um we got a really fun show planned for that some interesting topics to discuss so keep your eyes open for that uh i also made an appearance on the steel wars podcast i talked with uh, my buddy steel saunders a, a great uh podcaster and comedian and star wars fan and we had a great time uh debating r2's jet packs and uh, the relative merits of those uh, as well as all sorts of other fun star wars things so uh, you'll want to check that out go by going over to uh, steelwars.com that's a uh, steel is spelled s-t-e-s-t-e-e-l-e there's three three e's in there or you can go over to making star and you'll find it there as well Uh, And also, Kieran and I were on the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast this past weekend. and We were discussing Captain America Civil War with our pals Ben and Zach. So you want to check that out. I'm not sure if that one's on iTunes yet, but it will be very, very soon. A very long episode. Um, Over three and a half hours, I think. (laughs) It's definitely a long but fun episode. So you want to check that out as well. And uh, make sure to... Uh, like this show on facebook facebook.com slash watchers of westeros uh just or just search for the Watchers of westeros um i think the itunes feed is all fixed i hope the itunes feed is all fixed but if it's not uh, you should still be able to get the shows through the facebook page there'll be links to where you can download them and uh, also uh yeah also if, if it's possible subscribe and review on itunes we would greatly appreciate that just search for the Watchers of westeros a Game of Thrones podcast, or just watchers of Westeros. Uh, and you can follow us personally. I'm at Dominic J25, and Kieran is at C Duggan Six. Uh, so that'll do it for ne- th- for this week. We will be back next week. So long for now.
2: It's a wrap.
0: It's a wrap.